Are you a professional woman who wants to create passive income streams and financial freedom through real estate investing? Join us here on Real Estate Investor Goddesses, hosted by Monique Holm. Listen to women who are rocking it in real estate investments as they share their stories of success, failures, and best advice in real estate investing. Start creating real wealth through real estate. Tune in today. Here's your host, real estate investor, syndicator, and developer, Monique Holm. Welcome to the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I'm your host, Monique Hom. On this show, I interview badass, amazing real estate investor goddesses, women that are crushing it in the real estate investing space. And today, I'm super excited to have with me Lorraine Beato, who is somebody that I'm finally excited to get to know because we have so many people in common. She is a longtime investor and realtor. Getting a transaction to the closing table is her specialty. To start with mentioned mortgage securities trading all the way to investing both nationwide and internationally. Lorraine knows how to navigate the complex and intricate waters of real estate. In an ever-changing industry, you need to have someone on your side who understands all the facets of business. She wrote a book recently called Flip the Switch from Real Estate agent or real estate investor. So if you're a real estate professional and haven't started thinking about retirement or want to learn how to invest in things you sell every day, you'll definitely want to check out her book. She founded the Atlanta chapter of REN, the Women's Real Estate Network, and has been featured in Yahoo Finance and Think Realty Magazine's International Real Estate Rockstar Edition. She's also a current contributing author in all things real estate for Think Realty Magazine. Very excited to have her. Welcome, Lorraine. Well, thank you. Thanks for the invitation for being here. It is my pleasure. I'm really happy you're here. So you started your career doing trading mortgage-backed securities, and now you're an investor and author. So how did you get started in real estate investing? I didn't get started in, in real estate investing until 2013. It's something I had always been interested in. It was you know, it came about with actually I was helping my girlfriend buy investment property. She was doing fix and flips and we were buying at the courthouse steps. And that piqued my interest. And then in 2013, we did a boot camp with one of the gurus, you know, the whole bus score, pay the 30 grand and and go do that. And I then somehow became kind of their Atlanta point person. I didn't plan on it. It's just because I had such an extensive background and I had also been an appraiser back in New York that I started posting comments or helping people with their deals in this Facebook group. And I just kind of created an organic following. And I didn't even know what the, the word organic meant back then because it was like, oh, this is great. You're building organically. I was like, what does that mean? But I also having been an agent, when people would run their numbers, I would be like, your numbers don't work because of this or because of that. So I started having people from the group reach out to me to buy fix and flips here in Atlanta. And I work with several, probably a total of 10 investors at this point. And I would help them. Actually, I would not even help them. They never came into town. So I acquired the property for them, right? I said, okay, here's what I think is a good deal. I managed the renovation. And then I put the project on the market when it was finished. And as I saw how much money I was making for them, I said, okay, we need to be doing this for ourselves. And it wasn't until 2013, after we attended that boot camp, that I learned what hard money was. I had never heard about hard money. I didn't know what it was because that was always my thing was we don't have enough capital to leverage. And I didn't, you know, have any private investors at that point in time. So as I saw these guys 
you know, with what they were doing. And they all borrowed hard money on all of these projects. And I ran and comped all the numbers. I said, okay. I looked at my husband. I said, this is something that we need to do. And, you know, that's how we started because I had all the experience behind me. I just needed to take action and do it. Awesome. So what was the first deal you did? So the first deal we did was a catastrophe. We actually bought a property on that bus tour. It was in San Antonio. And we bought a property that was a foreclosure at the time. We put in an offer. It was bank owned. Offer was accepted because we ran the numbers. And I said, you know, this makes total sense. Well, if there's one thing that I can share with everybody is make sure that you know your numbers and that you have boots on the ground. The real estate agent that was there had run comps for us. We were out of town. It was a whirlwind weekend. You know, you start at 5 a.m. and go to midnight. And when we came back, I ran my own comps and I couldn't find comps to justify the number that the agent had given us. She had told us 250 to 260. I was coming up about 225, 230. That's a big difference. So we were in due diligence and we retracted our offer. And a couple of days after we retracted our offer, the bank came back and said, okay, we'll have them resubmit. So we resubmitted an offer $20,000 less and they took it. So that was the first one, but you know, three first contractor ripped us off, took our money, then took all the materials out of the house. You know, second contractor, third contractor, she was supposed to be our boots on the ground. And being a real estate professional, I had said to her, I said, look, how much do you want to manage the project for us? Because I'm an agent. I know that checking on a project, even if not managing it, but checking on a project is above and beyond yeah. what you're going to do as a listing agent or a buyer's agent. And she said, no, I have the listing. I'll be the buyer's agent. I'm good. Well, she never checked on the project for us. And needless to say, what was supposed to be about an eight-week renovation took 14 months. Oh, dear. With hard money. And then the first contractor, after taking all of the materials out of the house, like the hot water heater, like he, all the door, he took everything. We then put a lien on a property and then we had to hire an attorney because of course we weren't there. And it was the one deal we lost money on and we lost quite a bit out of our pocket by the time you take all of those extended periods of time hiring an attorney. Yeah. So first one was not good. It's not good. So you're kind of gone into like... <laughs> the question that I ask, like, because I think that when things don't work out well, we learn the most. So what did you Correct. learn from that? What would you do differently? And I tried to do everything that I possibly could, right? That's why I asked, are you sure you'll be our boots on the ground, right? Like we did everything we thought that we could. So vetting the contractor better, my husband had vetted him, but clearly it was not enough and came to find out afterwards because I, you know, my family jokes that I'm like an FBI agent. I then found out because I couldn't figure out why the contractor was trying to cash our check. It was December 23rd. And I'm like, why is this guy trying to cash a check on a Saturday night? And come to find out that his son had committed suicide. So I'm sure that the money we gave him paid to take care of burying his son. But, you know, having your boots on the ground and you have to go check on the project. I think that was the other thing. You know, my husband was working full time. I was working full time. We didn't really have the time to go back and check on the project ourselves. And so that is my biggest thing when people say that they want to invest in other markets, you need to make sure you have boots on the ground that you trust, pay them because although I tried and I was willing to do so, you know, she said it was okay and pay them to make sure that, you know, they've got your best interest at heart. Cause I think that's the hardest thing, the contractors and being out of state, you don't have boots on the ground that you trust. So what is great is that you did not let this first 
experience keep you from trying again and getting back in the game? So what was your next one and what got you to try again? Sure. And just so for the record, by the time it was all said and done, we lost about 60 grand out of our pocket. Wow. That's a lot. That is a lot to lose. For those listening, right? Real estate can make you a tremendous amount of money, right? Is that the number one way to build wealth in this world? 90% of millionaires become so through real estate, but you can lose a lot of money if you don't do things right. So yeah. So what was the second thing? So the second one, actually we had done one before that was also out of state, but we did that one in cash and my daughter was our boots on the ground. So the one we did after that was a very small, I like little brick bungalows. That's kind of my niche here in Atlanta. We did a two one. And my husband's like, oh, I don't know. And everybody was like, oh, Lorraine, but it's a two bedroom. You know, it's only a two one and it needs to be a three two. And I said, I don't know, I just have a really good feeling about this. It was a property that was listed. It was in probate. We bought it and we were in and out from the day we closed on it to buy it to the day we closed on it to the end buyer in 78 days. And we made, it was a little press. We bought it for 49 we put in 36 and we sold it for 128, I believe. So real short holding costs, contractor got in and out, did what they were supposed to do. I mean, even they took a little longer than they were supposed to, but we sold it on the first day and it was a young couple. And what I try to do is, you know, like most major markets, there is a lack of affordable housing. And so I just took what was there. I tweaked a few things. We didn't do an addition, but we did a really nice renovation. And, you know, the, all the agents that showed it, but this one in particular said, I want to write the offer in the house because I staged my properties. <laughs> and she said, I'm going to write it right now because we don't want to lose it because it is beautifully done. And everything else that we have looked at in this price point looks like a rental. And so, yeah, so that's kind of my niche, 900,000 square foot brick bungalow. I did a higher end property two, three years ago at this point, but those are the ones I, I just, I like because you're getting someone in there where it's their first home. And the last one I did was a single mom and she took her 14 year old daughter to the closing and she was just so excited to have a backyard, you know, and that's why I do what I do. Right. Yes, it's great to make money, but it's also about, you know, impacting communities. I love that. And so when you did that, so was that or with those in Atlanta? Did you yeah, start? Everything else we've ever done has always been in Atlanta. Because my <laughs> husband said, if I can't drive to it, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so you can invest out of state. You live where you want to live. That's where the numbers make sense. But you were someplace where the numbers made sense. So you could make money in your backyard. Why not? Right. Exactly. You know, or like I said, if you're going to invest out of state, just know that you need to get out there. I don't care what anybody says. I think that was our downfall. Had we gotten on a plane, gone out there a couple of times, it wouldn't have gotten to the point that it did. Yeah. You definitely have to check on your things. So even if you're investing out of state, out of your market, plan to visit often, especially in the renovation. Even if you have somebody there who's doing it for you, if you're lucky to have somebody like Lorraine, who's on it, I'm sure your investors felt really comfortable, but I, oh, every I, week. I, I, yeah. I was at their projects two to three. So it was almost, I was managing five projects at one time. It was almost a full-time job. And they did, they'd get a report with, you know, pictures and updates with what was happening or video. And because I knew what happened to me and I wanted to make sure that didn't happen to anybody else. Beautiful. You might have already answered this, but what was your biggest mistake and what did you learn from it? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I would say that was it. That was a, that was our biggest mistake, not personally checking on our own project. And that's why we're looking at investing out of state again. And if we do that, it will be something, you know, now kind of things are different than they were for my personal family right now. As I had mentioned, my husband lost his job due to COVID. So if he needs to go hop on a plane now and go check on something, he can. And, you know, that's the biggest thing. You need to put your own eyes on your own project. Hey, goddess, have you been sitting on the sidelines and you're now ready to get started investing in real estate? If so, join me for my free online training, how to get started in real estate investing as a busy professional woman. Go to tinyurl.com forward slash W-R-E-I-G to register for our complimentary training and to learn how to get investing in real estate like a goddess today. See you there. Before hit record, we were chatting and you're talking about having to pivot. And you were saying you had been doing a lot of flipping, you pivoted, doing some different things. So what have you pivoted into and how did you decide when to pivot and how? (laughs) So I was pivoting out of sales last year. That was my plan. I had met with someone who's going to be a business partner in January And, you know, I was going to pivot out of selling real estate. You know, I've done this for a long time. I've been licensed since 1988. I've been an appraiser. I was a loan officer for a while. I didn't do sales till we moved to Atlanta. And, you know, I was just kind of like, it's time to grow, right? And so I had uh, started, you know, talking about someone else's book. And I was starting to have real estate agents approach me and saying, hey, Lorraine, I didn't know you taught real estate agents how to fix and flip. Like they were DMing me on my Instagram. And I thought to myself, I don't, but I can. And, you know, I had several people say, you you know, you should write your own book. And actually, prior to COVID, I had gone to a CE class for real estate agents with a law firm. And I was the only agent that showed up. So we kind of went through everything. We have three hours to cover. I'm like, I already have that. I already have, you know, I'm good. And we just kind of started talking. And I told them about what I was doing. And I was having agents reach out to me. And the way my whole flip the switch started was, the law firm then reached out to me and they said, hey, will you teach a class for us on your flip the switch? And I said, sure, absolutely. I'm going, uh, okay, I'll figure it out, right? So I did that. I thought I did horribly. I had two friends in the audience. So like, no, this was amazing. And when I got done and I started having agents coming up to me saying, oh my God, this was great. Like you just put the pieces together and I never thought of this or I never thought of that. That prompted me along with a conversation that I had with a very good friend of mine who around the same time had said, girl, you know, I'm I'm tired of selling real estate and she's had back surgeries and she said, my back's killing me. I've shown these people like 50 houses and I just can't be in the car anymore but I'm going to have to sell houses until I'm 70. And, you know, you know, I'm going to be 60 soon. And I thought to myself, why? And I said, why are you going to have to sell houses for so long? And she's like, I have no retirement. That was really the clincher for me. So those two things combined, I wrote my book. I launched it April 1st of last year. It's on Amazon. And I actually had some speaking engagements set up. And that was kind of the route I wanted to go, right? To empower agents to understand that they need to have a plan B because like the first sentence in my book is the real estate landscape is changing. Who knew with COVID how much was going to change and all the virtual stuff we had to do. And, you know, I was realizing more and more that no one is out there telling real estate agents or teaching them how they can build wealth or passive income or a legacy through real estate. 
through the product that they sell every day. You know, so I did that and that was the path I was going to go down. And then COVID hit, my husband came home. He's like, I just fell it off. And Lorraine goes, oh crap, <laughs> let's shift back into selling homes. And that's what I did. You know, that kind of still the path that I'm on. I am working on, on a few other things. I have started mentoring people one-on-one. I don't have a course. I don't consider myself, you know, a guru, but I think it's important. And, you know, it's going well so far. So I've got some things planned for the rest of this year, just how to get some stuff out of the way. And the other thing COVID taught me was to leverage and to build a team because I learned that since I'm a solo agent, I've always been a solo agent, that if I had a team or built up a team, I could then step a little bit to go focus on some other things and still have the team producing where it's not just all on my shoulders. So that was a very valuable lesson because I never wanted to build a team. And now that's something I'm actually starting to work on. Love that. What are you most proud of? So there's two things. So I'm most proud of my girls. I have two amazing girls. One's finishing up her last year in law school. The other one just graduated with her master's. And the other thing that I'm super proud of is a renovation that you had touched on in the beginning. It was a renovation that I did in Europe. Talk about long distance, but I have family there. That was my furthest project that I had done. I inherited my grandparents' house on my father's side in Portugal. It's a two-family villa. And renovating that and, and keeping the legacy of my father and that lineage in place is just huge for me. That is incredible. So how did you talk about managing from far away? How did you do that? Yeah, to a place that I hadn't seen since I was like eight years old, right? Because when I was little, we used to play out in the front yard. And because it was what we would call here a duplex, right? It was always rented. So I had never even been in the downstairs. You know, it's a two-level villa. I'd never even been in the downstairs. And, you know, my mom would ask me questions. I'm like, mom, I never saw the place. Like, you didn't send me pictures. You keep forgetting. I didn't see the place. Luckily, like I said, my cousin's there. And he would send me pictures. And I picked out all the finishes. There were some things we needed to do, like fill in the crawl space or some structural things. Because the property hadn't been touched in about 60 years. So it had a lot of deferred maintenance, but a lot of it through Facebook Messenger video chat, you know, pictures online going to Google Portugal. I'm like, okay, this is kind of the tile that I want. This is the feel and the look that I want to going to Sherman Williams, picking out paint samples, sticking them in the mail and saying, okay, this bedroom's this color, the kitchen's this color. So it was truly a collaboration. And when I got to go four years ago, I haven't been back. We were going to go last year. And just to kind of see it all done was just really amazing because I hadn't been back in 20 years. And, you know, my plan is to turn it into an Airbnb and I just didn't have time. We had to go there, take care of legal paperwork because it was in probate for 10 years because it was still in my grandparents' name and everyone was deceased. My father was deceased, his brothers were deceased. So it took us a very long time to get that done. And there's a ton of red tape, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of my family legacy. So it's very dear to my heart. To what do you attribute your success? A lot of hard work. I kind of don't know how to stop. I feel like I'm always going 24-7 and I'm trying to work smarter, not harder. And I'm very persistent. I've never been, you know, we've been through a lot of trials and tribulations the last several years. As far as we've all been healthy, which is a blessing in and of itself. But just work-wise with my husband, he had been kind of when we moved to Atlanta from New York, he was mostly mainly the provider. And so a lot of challenges with that, but still, you know, managed to get my kids, both my girls through college with minimal debt. And I just worked as much as I could, whatever it was, you know, I'd be doing real estate and I've been working retail, you know, in the evening or the weekends. I'm a hustler. I always have been. 
And uh, I just think that comes from the work ethic from my parents. I'm first generation American and they just had that, you know, we come to the United States and and we're going to work hard and we're going to achieve the American dream with getting a house. And I have, I mean, my biggest supporter is my husband and my kids, my girls that are now 24 and 27. They are my biggest supporters. And when I doubt myself, they're always the ones telling me, you know, you can do this. Why are you getting in your own way? Isn't that wonderful to have? Yes, it really is that support behind you. I'm also a first generation American, so I can relate. (laughs) So what advice do you have for a woman who's just starting out in this field? My biggest thing is just go out and do it, right? I know that it's a male dominated industry and don't be afraid. You know, I've talked to some women and I've been on some panels and they've come up afterwards and, you know, being the only woman, oftentimes I'm sure as you've been on a panel and they'll come up and like, you just showed me that I can do this. And I think you just, you have to have a confidence level and just know, you know, get familiar. What I tell a lot of people sometimes, go through Home Depot, just go see what things cost, right? Just take a walk and familiarize yourself with stuff. Find another woman investor, if you can find one and talk to them and ask them how they started, see if you can shadow them. If not, I mean, I didn't follow women investors. I followed male investors. It didn't matter, right? And just learn as much as you can. And then once you get that confidence, there's nothing that can get in your way. I've only ever had one contractor who had an issue talking to me as a woman. He would talk to my husband. He wouldn't talk to me. And I'm like, dude, you're talking to the wrong person because I'm running these projects because my husband was working full time. And, you know, just know that and treat everybody the way you want to be treated. I think that's a really big deal. I'm multilingual. So that also helps me when I would go to a work site and, you know, to go look at one of my projects, a lot of the, and this is just what it is. You know, a lot of the workers here are, you know, Latino of some sort, and I speak Spanish and I would always make it a point just because that's who I am. I'd ask them, Hey, how are you doing? You know, how's it going? This looks great. You know, or can you fix this for me? I never had an issue with anybody fixing anything for me if I thought that it didn't look right because I treat them with the same amount of respect that I expect to get back. Beautiful. Love that. And what do you wish you'd known at the beginning that you now know? How to leverage more. I've learned a lot about leverage and I think that stopped me a lot in the past. And for me, that was huge, you know, coming as I'm sure maybe you can relate, you know, being first generation American and you don't talk about money. You don't ask anybody about money. You don't go to somebody and say, hey, you know, do you want to be a private investor? So I think for me, that was huge was learning how to leverage other people's money and being comfortable having that conversation, which I still have a hard time with because there's in the back of my voice, you know, my mom and my dad like, oh, no, you don't ask somebody you know, about money or what do they have or what they like to invest. So I'd say for me, that's the biggest one. Yeah, that's an issue that a lot of people have. So before we get into our famed end of show trinity, which is a brag of gratitude and a desire. Okay. What is the best way for people to connect you to find out more about what you do? Yeah, so I'm pretty easy to find. You know, being an agent, I am Lorraine Beato everywhere. I have my website, LorraineBeato.com. I'm Lorraine Beato on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on all of the social platforms. And if someone wanted to reach out to me, they, you know, feel free to DM me on any of the platforms or shoot me an email at LorraineBeato at gmail.com. So I'm not hard to find. All right. Now it's time for our Trinity. What is one thing you're celebrating right now? What's your brag? My brag right now is my daughter who just graduated with her master's a week and a half ago, working a full-time job and completing her master's in, in 18 months. That's my biggest brag right now. So you're bragging that you're the mama that raised her. 
Well, okay, yeah, Sodom the Mama that raised her, but she also worked her little tushy off to get there and graduate with honors. So I'm really excited for her. That's awesome. But see, that's not a brag about you. Oh, you want to brag about me? That's Sorry, a brag about me. A brag about me is that I've just gone international. I switched brokerages in February because I saw an opportunity that was presented to me. And I have just gone international. I brought on a brokerage firm in Brazil. And I now have a team in Brazil and I'm working on Portugal next. So that's my brag. Well, brag. And what's one thing you're grateful for? I am very grateful for my family and the support that I always have from them and, you know, and my health. Grateful that no one that I know personally was affected by the pandemic. Hey, thank you for that. And last but not least, what is one thing you desire? One thing that I desire right now is to build out my real estate team, to further build out my real estate team that I'm in the works of doing and yeah, to just build out my team and grow internationally further. So shall your desire be or so much better than you can imagine? Okay. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Lorraine, for being here. Y'all, you can connect with Lorraine. She gave her email address. So Lorraine, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E, Beato, B-E-A-T-O at gmail.com. You can connect with her there. Connect with me at reigoddesses.com. There you can connect to our socials, our blog, the podcast, our investor club, and just connect with the thousands of amazing women from all over the world. You want to be able to connect with women investors, as Lorraine was talking about, to have that support, come to reigoddesses.com to find that. And definitely subscribe and like and come back next time for another Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. Bye-bye. You have just listened to another episode of Real Estate Investor Goddesses, a show dedicated to sharing stories of women creating real wealth through real estate. If you found value on what you just heard, feel free to share with your friends. Visit us at reigoddesses.com to learn more about our programs and live events, as well as to access other resources. Until next time.